I was coughing, so I turned that off. Sorry. This morning, uh, since we had a dedication and I was uh, scheduled to speak this morning, I thought it would be a great time um, to take some time and to think about what happens after we do a dedication. So, you know, I'm sure many of you are sitting out there and, and as you're watching what just took place and you think, oh, this is nice, you know, it's a cute kid and great parents and hope things turn out well for them. But but what, go, what happens beyond that? And, and, and this morning, I want to challenge you all. I want to challenge all of us um, to think about what happens um, after the dedication. What happens after a family's up here? Not just this, these families that are up here this morning, but really what happens in the lives of all of our kids as we commit to this challenge of passing our faith on to the next generation. And, and I think what's probably true of each and every one of you here this morning is even though not everyone here is necessarily a parent or still has kids at home with them, my guess is that every single one of you has some sort of connection to a kid or to a teenager. And if you were to think through your life and if I were to make you flip your your, uh, note sheet over and, and write a list, my guess is that many of you would be able to make a list of kids and students that you have the opportunity to interact with on somewhat of a regular basis, whether it's uh, your own kids or uh, grandkids or nieces or nephews or cousins or siblings or maybe uh, the kids of people you work with, maybe kids of people in your small group, maybe it's kids in your neighborhood or kids that you pass on each week on Sunday morning here at church. And, and, and my guess is, is that some of you would have, my guess is everyone would have at least one name on the list, and some of you probably have a list a mile long. And the point isn't how big your list is. The point is, is that every single one of us has a connection with the next generation. God has put someone from the next generation in our lives. And if, if what I said earlier was true, if the greatest gift that we have to offer the next generation um, is our faith in God and knowledge and a love uh, for Jesus then I hope it causes us this morning to maybe stop and think about, okay, so what's next? What's that look like? What's that look like for, for the Dietzes and their family raising Emily? What's that look for for me and my kids? What's that look for in the kids and the students that I have a context to influence and impact? And, you know, parenting, as I said, is not an easy thing. You don't get sent home with a book, you know, 18 steps to do in the next 18 years to help your kids develop an authentic faith. Um, but the good news is, is that this is something that um, people before us have dealt with, that, that people for generations and years and years have dealt with this idea of how do we pass our faith on to the next generations. We're not the first ones to ask this questions, to wrestle with that tension. And in fact, thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, Moses, as he was kind of coming to the end of his leadership over the, the nation of Israel, he, he also was facing the end of his life right before they were to, to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the land that God had promised them that hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And, and so Moses, knowing this was kind of the, the end of his leadership, the last chance he was going to have to influence and impact these people, he was reminding them of a bunch of things that they needed to remember for their new life in the land of Canaan. And, and, and one of Moses' concerns was, was helping them to understand how to, to, to live successfully the plan that God had for them in this new land, and this big change that was happening in their life as a nation. And, and, and he was really concerned about the legacy 
that they would leave in each new generation that were going to grow up in this new land in such a different way than their fathers and grandfathers and uh, those that came before them had experienced. And so as we look um, at Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning, we're going to see, I think, in, in this short little passage, we're going to look at some principles, I think, that can help us and guide us and give us some clues into how, what it looks like and how we can navigate this process of passing on our faith to the next generation. Because my guess is that every single one of us here in this room, by your presence here, you, you probably have a desire to see that happen in the lives of your kids, in the lives of your grandkids, in the lives of the kids and students that you have an opportunity to influence and impact. And so we're going to be taking a look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, or chapter 6, sorry, verses 4 through 9. And I just want to take a moment and read that with you. If you don't have a, a Bible, the guys are coming forward, and they uh, will definitely give you one that you can look. Um, the page in there is 145. Looks like we're having a little trouble with the screens, but it's on page 145 if you're using the Bibles they're passing out. Um, so let's go ahead and read Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. It says this, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. And, and in this passage, all right, Moses is, is giving some 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 principles for them to think about and to follow as they pass the next, the, their faith on to the next generation. And, and the first one we're going to look at is in verse 4. And, and, and it's just the beginning of verse 4, and it's just the words, Hear, O Israel. All right, and you might think, Tim, you're really pulling something out of there. He just said, hey, listen up. Right? And you're right, he did. But what he said, who he told to listen up is what's really, really important. Who he told to listen up is Israel, all of Israel, the whole nation was there, the whole community. He wasn't just speaking to parents that we can easily read this passage and think, oh, that's just for parents. But Moses is talking to the entire community. And whatever is going to be said in, in these verses, he's saying to all of them. And, and, you know, he wasn't just addressing parents, but he was addressing siblings and he was addressing grandparents and cousins and friends and neighbors, everyone who lived together at that time. And I think what as we think about that, what Moses is trying to help them understand is, is that you know, even though um, parents are central to passing on the faith to their kids, they're not the only ones that are needed in that process, that, that others are needed in that process. And so you know, when we think about passing our faith on to the next generation, we need to make sure that uh, we widen the circle. All right? It's not up there. It would have been up there. But that's, write that, that, that phrase down, widen the circle. And you're like, well, what's widen the circle? What does that mean? Well, widen the circle means if, if um, Matt and Katie were still up here uh, with Emily and they were to set her here and, and to join hands around her, they just made a circle around their daughter, Emily. And so I think what Moses is saying as he addresses the whole nation is this is something that's not just for parents but for all of us as a community of believers, as God's people. To, to widen the circle, to add some people around that circle of Emily. So it's not just... Um, her parents, but it's others. And, and, and the reality is, uh, we kind of say it this way in, in, the, in the family ministry here at CCC, we say parents have the most significant um, opportunity to impact their kids, 
right? The, the most potential to influence them, but they're not the only influence that a kid needs in their life, that, that they need others, that, that parents need other loving adults and others involved in their kids' lives that are saying the same things to them as they are, and maybe in a little bit different way and, and definitely in a way that they hear differently. One of the things that's true is that kids and students hear things differently when they come from someone who's not their parents, right? And that's not a knock on parents. That's just a reality of the, of the relationships that they have and the difference of those relationships. They just hear things differently. We hear that all the time in the, in the, um, in the family ministry and, and especially with students. As I've been telling them that for years, but you say it once and they're like, oh, I need to do that, right? And it, it's just the reality. It's the way it is. And, and so, so, what's it, so we need to widen the circle around these kids. We need to, to, to join others to join hands around them so that it's not just the parents, but it's others with them. So, so what's that look like? What's it look like to widen the circle? And, and I think what it looks like is this, is that parents, you've got to, to pursue some uh, intentional and strategic relationships in your kids' lives. No kid, especially when they're younger, is going to be like, hmm, I need some more people in my life. I should go and find these people and bring them around me, right? We're, that's our role as parents. We have to help our kids have people around them, all right? So you have to find people that are willing to walk through life intentionally with your kids. And that, that doesn't have to be super huge and formal. It doesn't have to mean that they're a small group leader for life as they go through the family ministry. It may just be someone that they see a couple times a year. And you just ask them, hey, when you have a chance, will you just be real intentional about investing in their life and connecting with them and helping them to see the story that God is writing all around them? <clears throat> I think parents, we also have to be pretty... Um, strategic or pretty intentional in pursuing strategic relationships for ourselves okay parenting is not an easy job right it, it, it's 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 a difficult job and and we need others that are down the road from us that that can walk with us as we try to figure this whole thing out and 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 one of the things that that i'm fortunate to have is is i work on staff with two guys that are like way 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 down the road from me okay not that far but they're a little bit down the road from me all right, and so, so sorry, I, sorry, Johnny, <clears throat> but he's got older kids than I do, and so one of the benefits I get is I get to hear the things that they're going through and they're wrestling with, and I get to learn from them, and, and I get to say, well, this is what I'm dealing with. They're like, oh, yeah, been there, done that. Hey, try this, or think about this. Someone that's down the road from where we are that can help us and encourage us to figure out what it looks like to raise our kids and to, to pass our faith on to them in some pretty significant ways, and and parents, please understand what we're saying, what I'm saying this morning is this is not a replacement of you. Right? Parents are the most important influence in the life of a child. Right? But not the only influence. It's a supplement. Right? It's a way to multiply your influence in the life of your kids when you widen the circle and bring others around them and around you that can walk through that. And so for the rest of us here, if we're not parents, right? so what's for us in this? Well, I think for all of us, we have to be willing to be part of somebody else's circle. Remember, Moses is talking to the whole, the whole assembly of the Israelites here, and so are you willing to be part of somebody else's circle? Are you willing to, to come around and to, to nurture and to walk with and to um, do life together with a kid or a student in whatever ways you're able to? And, and again, it's not just in the family ministry, although some people choose to do it that way, but maybe it's just somebody in your family, somebody that you, that you see every so often. Maybe it's somebody that you just happen to bump into in your neighborhood a lot. Maybe the kid who runs through your backyard every week and uh, rocks through your mulch and smashes it all down, right? I don't know who that is, but I know that God's brought them into your life and we can 
find ways to be part of circling around them, of widening their circle. But for, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be a part of somebody's circle as, as parents or as others involved in kids' lives, so what does that look like? How do we walk with them? How do we pass our faith along? And I think as we continue on here, Moses is going to give us a few more, um, some insights into how we do that and what that looks like. And the, the next one there is just the, the next part of verse 4 that we're going to see here on the screen. It says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. All right, and, and we're not going to get into a big you know, theological conversation about the Lord is one, he's three, but he's one, and the Trinity and all that. I don't think that was Moses' point. But I think what Moses is trying to do here with this statement is to kind of establish a frame of reference for everything in life. And that reference point is the Lord our God. A reminder that the, of the, the centrality of our faith in our life, that, that everything is about and everything really is about God and what he's doing in us and through us. And so I think that, you know, the point here is, is Moses is making is that, um, you know, if they go into the promised land and they experience all of the amazingness of that land, but their kids never really come to know God, that that would be entirely heartbreaking for them as a nation. The land of Canaan was described in, in the Bible as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was an amazing place for them. You have to remember, they were wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years, and now they get to go into this land that was plush and fertile and abundant with food and filled with opportunity. And not only that, but they're going to walk into cities that were already built and houses that they don't have to build themselves and, and fields that are cultivated already, and, and, and they're going to have so much in front of them. But if you enjoy all of that, but the next generation misses God, I think Moses was really concerned about that. It was going to be crushing to them personally, be crushing to them as families, be crushing to them as a community. And I think Moses' fears is that the temporary things in life would crowd out the eternal things in life. That, that, that the shift from trusting God on a daily basis and to trusting in our own stuff and our own abilities is gradual, but it's very tragic as well. You know, the goal for them as a nation wasn't just to get into the land, although some of them probably felt that way, but uh, they wanted to get into the land and experience all of that within the context of the loving relationship that God had established with them as their Heavenly Father. And so his challenge for them is to look beyond what's right in front of us, look beyond the right here and now, and to focus on something much, much more important, focus on something much bigger. And I think today, guys, we fight that same, that same reality, and, and maybe even in a lot of different ways um, more so. And, and, and it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, the temporary things in life and lose focus on the big picture, the, the, the craziness of life, especially if you're raising kids. I was just talking to somebody on the way in, and yesterday was one of those days in our life. And, you know, I was, had a, a thing with the students and a daughter with a soccer game and a daughter with basketball, and my wife was doing a yard sale, and, um, and I had to speak this morning. And so we were just all over the place yesterday. And, 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 and I caught myself because I was preparing for this thinking, all right, it, it, I can't just react in this moment, all right? My kids want my attention, and I can't just shove them aside and say, I've got to go do this and go prepare. And sometimes we have to do that. But <clears throat> the reality is, is that if we just focus on our schedules, if we just focus on our activities, if we just focus on, on, on grades and what comes next and the problems, we lose sight of the big picture. And so we have to train ourselves not to just live in the immediacy of the moment, but to look at something farther out. We have to imagine the end. We have to imagine 
the end? Where do we want our kids to end up? Who do we want them to be? That's the question we have to ask. If you look at their life, maybe when they're a baby, like you look out to when they're 18, who do we want them to be? Who do we want them to become? When, look out when they're 25, or maybe a good practice is to think about when my kid is 30, or when this, this child or this student is 30 years old, what do I want to be true about who they are? Not what they've done, not what they have, but who they are. That's what it means to imagine the end, and I think that's what Moses was pointing them to. We, we can't just focus on what they accomplish or, or the behavior of the moment or the experiences that we long to give them, but we have to focus on the big picture. It's kind of like if you, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to paint soccer field lines. Um, I used to coach at a, uh, a little high school, and because it was a little high school, it meant I also got to take care of the field. And so um, when I would set the field up, the lines would fade with the rain and, and as the, the students played on it, and so I'd have to repaint them. And the, what's true when you're painting a line is if you uh, push the painter and you just focus a couple feet in front of you, when you get done and look back, your line's going to be like this with every bump and every turn and every time you, you know, saw a bird fly by. But if you look out in, out in front of you and you pick the end of the line or even something past it and you focus on that, if you look at the end and you walk with that line painter and you look back at your line, it won't be perfect. Right? And life's never perfect, but it's going to be a whole lot straighter than if we just look right in front of us. And this is the idea that Moses is trying to help us, that, that as parents and those involved in the next generation, sometimes you know, the most difficult thing is to look out to the end, look out to who they're becoming. And, and sometimes that means we just have to trust that, that God is God, right? as it said in the passage there, that trust him to show up and do what only he can do in the lives of our kids. You know, the most important thing in our relationship with our kids isn't to, to try to make sure that everything in our relationship is right. It isn't to, to give them everything that we think they should have or to do everything that we think they should do, all right? But the most important thing is that they're pursuing a right relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. That's what it means to imagine the end and not get caught up in just the here and the now. And I want to just take a minute and, and kind of pause right here because I know the reality <clears throat> is... For some of you, it hasn't turned out the way you hoped. And maybe they've kind of gotten farther in their life and they haven't taken on the faith that you tried to pass to them. And I think the reminder here for us too, for, or for you, if, if that's true of you, is that that's not something to feel guilty about, not something to feel ashamed about. But I think Moses wants to remind us, the reminder that you need to grab onto is that God is God and you can trust him to do what only he can do. God uses us in the lives of kids and he uses us to pass our faith on to the next generation, but it's his job to do it. And so if that's the reality for you, I just want to encourage you to keep your um, focus on the end, to imagine the end, because God's not done writing their story. So no matter where you are in this journey, no matter where you are uh, in raising kids or connecting with the next generation, um, we have to stay focused on the big picture. We have to imagine the end. The next principle that we see here that Moses gives us is found in verse 5. It says this, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And, you know, after spending the last five chapters, if you look at the beginning of Deuteronomy, kind of reviewing the last 40 years of their history as they uh, came out of Egypt and they wandered around in the desert and, and reviewing all the, the laws and the statutes and the commandments that God had given them um, to live how he longed for them to live, um, 
you know, he kind of now wraps it up with something that was a little bit probably new to them. You know, like sometimes you're sitting here and, and you know, somebody's up here speaking and, and maybe you're just kind of fading off a little bit and all of a sudden they say something that kind of catches your attention. You're like, huh? Like this is going to be, that's the statement for them. They were, you know, they're like, all right, so don't lie, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Huh? That's new. What's he talking about? And if you look back through, through um, the Bible up to this point, the, the emphasis of a relationship with God to this point was, was on uh, worshiping God and God alone. It was, on, um, it was on respecting God and fearing God. And, and so Deuteronomy 6 is kind of a pivotal point. This is a statement that Jesus takes and uses as the foundation of the kingdom that he's building. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And, and, and what Moses is, is fighting here, I think, is fighting their tendency and our tendency to, to just focus on the rules, to focus on the, the list of the things we have to do and the things that we can't do and the, all the things that we have to follow. And I think what he's trying to do here is he's trying to fight for the heart. And that's what we have to do with the next generation is fight for the heart. Love is what keeps our faith from simply becoming a system of rules, right? From just becoming a religion, right? And, and, and from, keeps us from boiling our faith down to the do's and the don'ts. And it's a tendency that we have to fight. It's something that we have to resist. We have to learn to fight for the heart and to, and to help, right? Moses wanted the people not just to be people who followed the rules, but people who, who would pursue a loving relationship with their heavenly Father, with their Creator, Love and relationship with God always comes before the rule, before the rules, right? The love and the relationship that God establishes a relationship and expresses love for them before he gave them anything that they had to do. But that's a really easy thing for us to forget sometimes. You know, when it comes to our relationships with our kids or with other kids and students that we're involved in, it's easy to, to just focus on their behavior and how they're doing and are they, you know, are they towing the line and we forget to, easily can forget to focus on the heart. Uh, that's something that I know I struggle with a lot in my life, and I'm sure uh, many of you who uh, work with kids, it can be easy just to focus on the behavior and to forget to focus on who they are and what they're becoming on the inside. So we have to move from just correcting behavior and just, um, just making sure that they know the whys behind all the things that we want them to do, and, and, and we have to help them to get beyond and understand the relationship that lies under the rules, right? the, the heart and the love that God has for them. And, and when we, if we want them to understand how God loves and desires a relationship with them, they learn that through our relationships with us. And so an important way for us to fight for the heart is to, to focus and to work on building relationships uh, with kids and with students that, that are built on trust, that are, built, that, that are trustworthy for them. See, Moses went through and he recalled their history and he said, look, God showed up and God showed up and God showed up and God promised and he did it, and he showed up, and he showed up, and he showed up. And, and he, was, he, was, he was building a case that God can be trusted, that God can be counted on. And we have to do that in our kids' lives too. We have to show that just like God can be trusted over time, that we can be trusted over time. And so if I think about myself and my relationship with my kids, there's some things that I can do and that sometimes I battle that breaks that trust in our relationships, that... that that impacts my kids in a negative way. And, and, and here's a few of them. When I, when I discipline or I react to them in anger, it breaks their trust of me. When I, um, when I use words that communicate rejection or, or use words that communicate 
they don't matter. When I don't fight and, and when I ignore their voices, when I don't fight to hear their heart through everything that's going on, when I don't work to understand who they are and who God made them to be. And, and we don't do these things on purpose. I don't, no, nobody, not very many people in the world, you know, wake up and be like, how can I ruin my kid today? You know, what can I do to just break this relationship and give them a horrible life? We don't, we don't do that, but these things creep in, right? Because we're imperfect people and we have to face them. And, but when we can take those things and we can flip them around, and, and we don't always get it right, but when we can give them instances where they see that, that we'll respond without anger, that, that we'll, we won't always react in discipline, that we can do that out of love and self-control, and when we use words that communicate value and communicate that we love them, even when we have to correct them. And, you know, when I can work to hear my kid's heart, to hear what's going on underneath all the stuff that they're going through, when I can look for and appreciate the way God made them, when I, can, when I can celebrate who they are with them. It builds trust with them, and it proves over time that they can trust me. And when, it, when they can learn over time that they can trust me, it helps them to understand that over time they can trust God as well. And, and trust that we build over time with kids and with students, it's a, it's a relational glue right, that seals intimacy and love in our relationship with them. And that's what it means. That's what it looks like to fight for the heart. And that's what Moses was calling the Israelites and I think calling us today to focus on the heart. He keeps going here in, the, in this chapter and uh, in verse 6 he says this. It says, uh, these commandments I give you today to be on your heart. Because the reality is if, we need, if we're going to fight for our kids' hearts, we've got to consider our own hearts. He's reminding that what's in our hearts is going to be what comes out and what we pass on to the, our kids and to the next generation. Maybe you've heard the phrase, um, if it, it can't be in them until it's in you. And I think that's what Moses is talking about here, that we have to, before we can ask who our kids are becoming, we have to look at and we have to focus on who am I becoming? What is my life like? And am I, what am I passing on to my kids? One of the dangers in that, <clears throat> and one of the things I hope you don't take away from this today, is that sometimes we think, well, if I have to pass this on to the next generation and if this depends on me and God's using me to do this, then I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. I've got, I've got to at least appear perfect and, and, and so that, you know, like I've got it all together. And, and I think that's a trap that we can get in. The idea here is not that we are perfect so we don't pass anything bad along to them. The reality is kids and students are perceptive. They're going to see right through that anyway. All right? The, kids have a front row seat to their parents' lives, and the question is, what are they watching? Is it just a show, or is it this uh, real-life journey of ups and downs as you work to grow your faith and develop your faith? And so we, we absolutely want to show them things like what it looks like to have a, a loving and a committed marriage. We want to show them things like how to prioritize slowing down in our life to be with Jesus, like John challenged us over the last month. And we want to, we want to pass on... To, to them, you know, how to reject materialism and consumerism and how to live a life of generosity. But the point is that we do those things perfectly. We don't have to be a perfect example in those. We just have to be a growing example in those. They need to see us struggle to find the answers in life. They need to see us wrestle with facing our own weaknesses. They need to see us, you know, admit when we're wrong and deal with our problems and resolve conflict in our relationships. Because when they see that we're not perfect but we're growing in our faith, they realize that that's really where they can be too. And, and when they see God at work in our lives, they have a hope that God can work in their lives in the same way. And 
when they see the gospel at work in us, God making us new, and they can understand that it's at work in them too. And they can understand that we're all imperfect people that are desperately in need of God's grace, that are desperately in need of his love and his forgiveness in our lives. Because without it, we're a mess. And that's okay. That's what they need to see. Not, not a perfect person, but they need to see someone who's growing. They need to see that we're making it personal in our lives and help them make it personal in their life. Thank you. Sorry, I'm getting hard to listen to, aren't I? All right, so let's look at the last one here. Um, in verses 7 to 9, Moses gives us one last principle I want us to look at. And it says this. It says, impress them on your children. Impress these things on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. All right? doesn't mean that we ought to go out and get signs to put on our doors. It doesn't mean that we've got to wear things on our forehead and our hands. Uh, right? He's not telling you to get tattoos all right, that say, I love Jesus. But you know, these instructions that he's giving, uh, I think Moses realized that it's really, really important for them, as a, generation, a new generation grows up in this new land, to, to foster an everyday faith in the next generation, to, to find simple ways in life. And a lot of these are pointed to parents, but remember, he's still talking to the whole congregation, all right? To find simple ways in everyday life to show them that God is, is present with them, show them that they can continue to rely and to trust him. You have to, you have to understand that for the last 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness, that, that God was present with them in some pretty unique ways. Every morning when they woke up, there was this white stuff on the ground called manna that they ate. Every day they were reminded that God is here and God provides. Every day as they moved around, they followed this pillar of cloud. It was God's presence with them and a reminder that God's with us and he is leading us. And every night when they stopped and they set up camp, a pillar of fire stood over them, a reminder that God's here, he protects us, he is with us. Every day they had these continual reminders. The, the, the presence of God was visibly present with them in their everyday life. But Moses knew that wasn't going to always be the case. He knew that, that as they moved into this new land, things were going to change and things were going to be different. And those daily mi- reminders would soon be gone. And soon there'd be a whole lot of distractions all right, that would ca- could cause them to drift away from this everyday faith and reliance. You see, they weren't going to be wandering around in the wilderness anymore. Now they're going to have permanent places to stay and live. And they weren't going to be in the desert anymore. They're going to be in this lush, plush land that they could use to provide for themselves. And, and, uh, you know, and so I think that Moses was understanding the human tendency that we have to kind of compartmentalize our faith, right? Instead of viewing you know, God as kind of the big box that encompasses everything in our life and everything fits in that box, and that's how we understand it all, our, our tendency is to, to take our, our faith and to just make it another little box, to take God and just make it another part of our life instead of how we understand and interpret all of life. And, you know, over time, our, 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 our daily, you know, faith gets reduced to maybe, well, a certain time of the day. And then our certain time of the day maybe gets, you know, reduced down to a certain time of the week. And maybe our certain time of the week gets reduced down again to just, a certain time of the month, maybe. You know, and our tendency is, is over time to put faith in its own box instead of seeing 
how it is the connection to God and to the story that he's writing in our lives. And seeing faith as, as you know, one of the many things in our life and not as the framework of our entire life and how we understand everything else that happens in our life. And so Moses is, is trying to encourage them that we've got to find ways, you've got to find ways in this new land to, fo- to, to, to foster an everyday faith, to find ways in everyday life to remind them that God is here and God is present and he protects and he loves and he guides and he provides. Because over time, if we don't, our kids will drift away and they'll forget that God is present with them and they can continually rely on him. You know, and the, the examples that Moses gives in this passage are, are, are pretty specific to parents, right? Um, if you're someone that's involved in, in the life of a kid or a student that's not your own, please don't show up at bedtime, right? Please don't show up when they wake up in the morning. They will not appreciate it, and you'll creep out their parents, okay? All right, so small group leaders, right, that's not what we're encouraging here. All right, but, but he's just using these as examples. You know, when, you're, when you walk along the road, when you're driving in your car, when you're walking down the sidewalk, when, 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 when you're sitting at home together as a family, whenever it is that you bump into kids and students, that, that you can take those everyday opportunities and use it right, to, to, to leverage these daily experiences and to, to point to God, to help them get a glimpse of who God is and who they are in light of that. This week I had um, an opportunity to do this, and I missed it. Um, Monday is my typical day off, and so this Monday I was home and I was trying to get caught up on um, some weeding and mulching in the landscaping around our house that I kind of let go for a while. And uh, so I was kind of working all day long. It was hot. That was like 80-degree day, and it was hot, and, and I was working on the mulching part, so kind of getting towards the end, and my son Josiah was out there uh, helping me, uh, playing, and um, it lasted about five seconds. <clears throat> and the boy uh, who lives right next door came over to play with Josiah as well. And so they were kind of playing, and they got bored in about five minutes playing. And, uh, and he came up to me, and he asked me, he said, can I help you mulch? And, uh, and it was a moment, it was, it was an opportunity for me to, to show him that I value him, to show him uh, the acceptance that God shows us, to, to, to value him enough to say, yeah, come do this with me, and let's enjoy doing this together. And I missed it, because I said, well, you know, why don't you guys just go play, because... I'm a little particular, and I don't want your little footprints through my... I didn't say that to him, but that's what I was thinking in my head. You know, and I, you won't spread it evenly, and I'm trying to make it go a long way, you know, and, and I just kind of dismissed him and put him back to go play with Josiah, and I missed an opportunity that I could have used, and I wouldn't have sat there and given him the gospel story, and I wouldn't have sat there. I probably wouldn't even mention God, but I had the chance to show him that I valued him, that I accepted him, and that I loved him, and I missed it. I pushed it aside. I, I, I didn't help foster his faith that day. And those are just the little things. And, and there's tons of examples of ways that we can do this, ways that we can um, keep our focus on, on who they're becoming and, and every day find the opportunities to foster faith, to connect them back to God. And, and, and that's what we need to do if we're going to pass our faith on to the next generation. And as you look at these, you know, these five principles that we've kind of looked at in this passage, widen the circle and imagine the end and fight for the heart, make it personal and foster an everyday faith, I think these are some pretty key ways that if we kind of learn to think this way, it'll help us to be a little bit better at passing our faith on to the next generation. The danger is is that you might look at this list on your note sheet and and, and start trying to put checks beside them. Yep, did that, doing that, yep. And and that's not really the point. Because these aren't aren't some magic formula to be a better grandparent or parent or cousin or 
uncle or mentor in a kid's life. These are, these are just things, that principles that help us stay focused on the right things, that help us do just a little bit better. And, and think of what can happen if, if, if we can begin to, to understand these and, and begin to, to, to think about these things and focus on these things as we pass our faith on to the next generation. We can do it just a little bit better than maybe our parents did with us. And if our kids can do just a little bit better than we did, and their kids can do just a little bit better. Think of the impact and the, the multi-generational impact. That's the view that Moses had when he was saying this. He wanted to go from generation to generation to generation to generation. And we get to be a part of that. And God wants to use us in that. He doesn't want us to be perfect. Never pursue perfection in that. All right? Our kids need to see the gospel at work in us. But we need to pursue um, these things and, and, and as we pass our faith on to the next generation. Because it can make a huge difference in them and in those that they influence, and on and on down the line. And I think that's really what Moses was challenging the, the Israelites to that day, and what God wants to challenge us to today, even as we watch a dedication and think, all right, so now what happens next? So let me pray with you guys this morning, and ask God just to help us do this, as we invest in the next generation. And God, we thank you first and foremost for your love for us, and if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be talking about any of this, and... Um, Thank you that you love us no matter what, that, that you long to have a relationship with us, that, that you established that relationship before you ever gave any rules. And God, as we think about the uh, kids that are being dedicated today, we think about the many that are uh, in this building, the many that are, are sitting in this room, the, the many that are represented by the people who are here right now, and, and the, the fact that they have a connection with them, that they have contact and influence in their lives. And God, help us just to stay focused on the big picture, stay focused on the end, and, and, and help us to, in just small little ways, find ways that we can point them to their loving Heavenly Father. And God, we, we love you. Thank you for even just using us um, in this process. You don't need us, but you choose to use us, and that's the way you have planned it. And so we thank you for that. And we ask that you would just help us in that today. And as we go from here, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For Johnny um, and the band close our service for us, uh, I, I just want to share with you a resource where a lot of these ideas came from. All right? It's a book called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. All right? And the authors, um, Carrie Newhoff and Reggie Joyner, um, are some mentors of mine in ministry. And uh, they just did a great job even diving a little deeper into this subject. If, if, if you're curious, if it, um, you think it might be helpful, and not just as a parent, I know it's a parenting book, but even just as um, someone who works with the next generation, uh, the book's called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. I would encourage you to pick it up and to check it out and to dive in a little deeper into the, a subject that really we were only able to scratch the surface on this morning. So, Johnny? Thanks, Tim. And, uh, you know, I've, I've learned that... Um, when I became a parent and trying to be the perfect uh, father, um, it, it really kind of woke me up to kind of looking back through and say, well, what did I experience? And, and it's some, many of us maybe have uh, fathers that uh, didn't model um, what being a father should be. And so as we go through this journey trying to figure that out, we all have so many different experiences. And then as we become a parent, and then we see even in our own faults and our own uh, moments of non-father. We don't have our kid do the mulch. Get away. We get away. We don't. I want to do the mulch myself when that's an awesome moment. But 
Um, but beyond that, um, many of us haven't really received uh, fully um, the Father in heaven and the way he views you. Um, he says, when lies speak, uh, I'm reading the bridge of this song we're going to sing, uh, when lies speak louder than the truth, remind me that I belong to you. And when I can't see past the dark of night, remind me you're always by my side. We are the sons and daughters of God. And beyond that, we are the beloved, is the big church word, but you are loved by God. Even in your brokenness, we don't have to go, yeah, but I did this and I did that. He loves you for who you are, right the way you are. He wants you to, to grow and change, but not so that he will love you. He already loves you. So let's all stand together uh, and sing out and be reminded of the love that God has for us as sons and daughters. Mm-hmm.